edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show where we hit on all of the latest and greatest news of the week. And of course, this week, well, kind of sucked, if you ask me. Uh, There was a huge disappointment midweek. Of course, you all know about that by now, and we will be touching on that, no doubt. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those times when you are a Bayern Munich fan that Man, it's tough to really absorb how that all happened. And just the thought of being knocked out by Villarreal was, it's its tough to take. Uh, Bayern was obviously the better team. They were the deeper team. But for two legs, they didn't play like it. And they didn't deserve to win. And it's a shame because this is a very talented Bayern team. I think you could match them up against anyone. And this Bayern squad would do well, but evidently not against a Villarreal. So it was uh, tough to take. And I'm sure there are still some very angry Bayern fans out there. I'm sure a lot of people are still disappointed. But hey, there's a game this weekend against Armenia Bielefeld. And hopefully Bayern gets a better result than what they did against a Villarreal. Let's get right to it. Obviously, this is not an easy time for anybody. But uh, the first thing we learned this week is probably that Bayern Munich is not as good as we thought. Now, I don't want to diminish that the squad is is talented. I don't want to diminish the depth that they have. But when putting it all together, uh, when adding in the coaching staff, when you mix it all in, this team is just not as good as I think I anticipated. Uh, What we saw earlier in the year, there was a team that played with a killer instinct, and that was missing. And that was missing big time in the first leg against Villarreal. Not as much in the second leg because the team did play with a lot of intensity and a lot of urgency, but they slumped at the wrong time. So when you have key players like Robert Lewandowski, Thomas Muller, even Leroy Sané, some of the better offensive players in the world and they couldn't put it together for two legs against Villarreal it was extremely extremely disappointing Uh, and you know my conclusion after thinking about it for a few days and looking at everything is just that this team has not gelled together like I think we all hoped they would under Julian Nagelsmann in his first season and we'll be touching a little bit more on Nagelsmann later but what I will say about him right now is he is a guy who's very bright. He, I think he is tactically good despite the fact that uh, there's a lot of criticism on him right now for his tactics, for his formation, for everything, basically. But if you look at what he did in that second game, is he switched from a back four, which they used in the first game, to a back three for the second game, and it worked. It generated an immense amount of pressure. Bayern Munich was all over Villarreal. In the end, though, the players let him down. But on the flip side, I I don't know that I agreed with a lot of things that Nagelsmann has done over the past five to six weeks. I think there have been some, some times where he could have rested certain players and he didn't. And that's sort of what I worry about with this team. Uh, There are a lot of things to worry about, but obviously this is still a great team. And even great teams have areas of concern. One of the things that is really uh, concerning me is Thomas Muller and Robert Lewandowski really looked old against Villarreal. 
Now, we can talk about the wear and tear of a season. We can talk about how Villarreal packed in about four buses onto the pitch and just wouldn't let Bayern operate in any way. They grabbed, they held, they pushed, they pulled, they did everything, and they also won. So I'm a little worried with the contract discussions coming up that this could be a point where we start to see that age in Thomas Muller and Robert Lewandowski. Now, does it mean I wouldn't invest in them? No, I I absolutely would, because I think both players have a strong enough track record and have shown enough this season that they deserve it. What I do worry about with those two is that if they're not managed properly leading up to this key time in the season, they might well wear down even next year. So I'm hoping that Nagelsmann has has gained enough trust from the players. I don't know if he has, but I'm hoping that he has a little more say and sway with them to be able to convince them to rest a little more. And yes, I'm looking at Muller. I'm looking at Lewandowski. I'm even looking at Neuer. I'm certainly looking at Kimmich, whose performance has dropped off the face of the earth. He has not been good after being one of the best central midfielders on the planet for so long. He has Uh, really dropped off, and I think some people are pointing to COVID and his bout with that and him not being right since then, but uh, whatever the case, he's got to be better. And, uh, you know, like any season, this Bayern season had some untimely injuries, especially to Leon Goretzka, Alfonso Davies. Uh, There were many that you could point to. But when I think about this and I put it all together, I've just come to the determination that when you mix it, and you add in the players, and you add in the coach, and you add in everything going on around this team right now. They're just not as good as I hoped they would be at this point. I think they had the potential to be there. And at many points over the past few months, I've thought this was the best team on earth. I've thought when you look at things and you look at the best teams, you look at Bayern Munich, you look at Liverpool, and you look at Manchester City. And that's what I thought. I thought it was really a three-team race. But this Bayern team picked an awful time to slump. I think they have to be better than that. And, you know, what I'll take away from all of this, from this from this Champions League tie against Villarreal, is that the most disappointing thing wasn't the way they lost. And sure, you could absolutely point the finger at trying to use Alfonso Davies as a center back. Just knowing how prone he is to creep up on offense He literally took two steps out of position and Villarreal capitalized on it. Uh, I can get past all that. But what I can't get past, and the only thing that's really haunting me about this leg still at this point, is that god-awful lack of intensity, lack of effort in the first leg against Villarreal. Like Bayern Munich expected to just show up and win the match, and that, of course, was not possible. Because Villarreal is a a proud team. They have a lot of veteran players. They have a lot of players looking to prove something. And Bayern Munich, by establishing that in that first match, by not coming out and playing with intensity, by settling for offensive chances, for forcing things, for just taking the easy way out in general, they paid the ultimate price and got knocked out of the Champions League before they should have. So yes, when factoring it all in, I'm going to say it, Bayern was just not as good as I thought they were. A better team, a great team, finds a way to battle through that. And that's the difference between a very good team and a great team, if you ask me. So that's what I learned, and that was a a bitter pill to swallow because I had so much, I I had so many high hopes for this team. I had just, just so much 
anticipation of what they could become and it just didn't happen so that's uh that's the hard part of this week so uh the second thing i learned about myself this week is that i'm still a believer of julian nagelsman but i'm an awful lot more skeptical than i was before now i am one of the people who will roll with nagelsman and roll with his back three because i think when you hire a coach you have to let him run his system if you want to achieve success and it's the only way that i think you can really maximize your investment in a coach you have to give him the power to run what he wants you have to give him the players to run that system and i think that is where bayern munich is lacking right now I think if you put a gun to Julian Nagelsmann's head that he would say he wanted to run it back three all season. He just didn't have a right wing back to make that happen. And that's really unfortunate because Byron knew last spring or yeah, last spring over a year ago when they hired Julian Nagelsmann that they were probably going to have to switch things up. And there's still, I think, a lot of reluctancy from people within the club people associated to the club, alumni, where they don't want to see this back three come to fruition. And the bad news for them is it looks like it is going to happen. Now, I understand the, uh, I, I don't want to say the attraction, but the the people attaching themselves to the 4-2-3-1 because it has been a historically successful system for Bayern Munich. Most recently, Hansi Flick made it work, and he made it work almost better than anyone. Uh, in winning a sextuple with it. So, yeah, I see that argument. But with Nagelsmann, he clearly has a way that he wants to coach. And I think that Byron missed the boat on not getting out in front of this, not having these discussions, and letting him do what he needs to do to have the most success. And it's a big miss, I think, from Brazo. I think it's a big miss from Oliver Kahn and Herbert Heiner. I think that they all need to be a little more receptive of what their coach wants to do and empower him to do that. And I think already we're seeing that Byron is making that step. But now if they do this and they're able to give Nagelsmann the players that he needs to run his system, what I think will happen at this point is we're all going to get a chance to see if Nagelsmann can really do this on the level that Bayern Munich needs him to do this at. And, and that is, I think is the big question and why I have just a little bit of skepticism. Nagelsmann is a bright guy. He's obviously very smart. I think he embraces innovation. He embraces technology. He embraces new ways of thinking while also respecting the old ways of doing things. I think he's got a very good mix for that. And I think he was the right hire after Hansi Flick decided he wanted to leave. The problem with Nagelsmann right now is, is it lies in a couple of areas. One tactically, He's got to be, he has to be given those players that he needs, right? So that's already established. And if that happens in the offseason, I think he'll be fine. But now Nagelsmann is also battling his roster. And, and I don't mean that physically, but, you know, reports came out this week that two prominent veteran players went to the coach and complained about the system. And I think we can absolutely figure out who those two players were. They might sit atop the formation. Uh, Serge Gnabry complained about having to play the role of a wing back and, and complained that he wants to play more centrally. Well, I got news for you, Serge. 
Do you think you're better than Robert Lewandowski? Do you think you're better than Thomas Muller? Do you think you're better than Leroy Sané? Do you think you're better than Kingsley Coman? You probably do, but do you also think you're better than Jamal Musiala and Paul Vonner and Gabriel Vidovich? The reason I'm asking Serge Gnabry this question is because those are all the players that are going to be competing for central time next year uh, if they all stay. So it is really going to be interesting to see what happens with Gnabry. Uh, and and why I'm, I'm focusing on that is just because Nagelsmann has to then take all of these complaints that he gets from the players. He has to, out of respect, factor them in and then come up with a plan to try and appease everyone. Because at a club like Bayern Munich, you cannot, you can't shut down players like Lewandowski and Muller. You would have a tough time shutting down a player like Gnabry. A coach is in a very tough spot because not only have these players one more than the coach, but they've also established themselves with the fans. And Nagelsmann, I think, by and large, is is probably kind of iffy with the fans right now. I'm not sure that, well, I am sure that all of the fans have not bought into what he's selling. And there are quite a few fans that really want him out now. And I, I'm not in that list, but like I said, I'm doing a heat check with him right now. I think he's still the man for the job. I think if he gets the players that he needs, he'll be fine. But he's got a battle internally now with this roster. And whatever Brazo gives him to start the next season, Nagelsmann is going to have to figure it out because he's going to have some demanding veterans. He's going to have a lot of talent that expects to play. He's going to have Jamal Musiala another year older after a very good season, expecting to be a starter and probably not eh, probably not in the 11 yet. So it's going to be very difficult, and we'll see what happens defensively, but Nagelsmann's going to have to sort that out as well. I think one of his biggest challenges is going to be to convince Alfonso Davies that he has to actually play some defense. Everybody loves Davies. I'm one of probably one of the bigger fans of him at BFW. I mean, everybody loves the kid. He's great. He's got all the potential in the world. His defensive positioning has been sloppy for the last year and a half. Someone needs to say it. Someone needs to tell him that. He just needs to be aware. Now, everybody wants him to succeed, and I think everybody believes he has the potential to be the left back, the best left back on earth. But he's going to need to embrace the defensive side of it because when he's focused on it, he is a very good on-ball defender. The problem for him has been his positioning, and it has haunted him throughout the season. So uh, hopefully Nagelsmann can make that a personal project for himself, and that would help increase my heat check to go more on the positive side. I still am with Nagelsmann. I'm going to ride with him. But I'm not as certain that he'll be as be successful as I was probably eh, three, four months ago. So that is uh, another thing that I learned this week. The third thing that I learned this week is that Bayern Munich is back in the market for a center back. Of course, we thought that Bayern Munich was already out of the mix for any center back because they were spending money on Nusar Mizrahi, Ryan Gravenberch. Okay, so Gravenberch being a central midfielder, he's going to cost them money if they actually get this deal done somewhere between 20 and 35 million euro, depending on who you believe and what day of the week it is. Masrali, of course, will be a free transfer, but they're also going to be paying him probably more than they wanted to. We've seen some numbers kicked around that would put him in the upper echelon of the defenders on the roster. So that's a little bit surprising. I didn't expect Bayern Munich to have to pay him that type of salary, but... I guess to outbid Barcelona and to ensure that they would get Masrali, Bayern is going all out. So 
when factoring Graven Birch, when factoring what they're going to pay him as rally, I wasn't sure that Bayern Munich really was going to be able to continue to per- pursue a center back. But now all of a sudden we're getting word that Bayern is not necessarily out of the mix for a center back and that they are still looking at a few. And a couple of the names are a little surprising. So let's take a look at those. So Torino's Gleison Bremer, of course, Bayern's been linked to him for quite a while. Uh, I, I still have trouble believing Bayern is going to get this deal done for Bremer. It's, he's valued anywhere from 25 million euro to 35 million euro. Seems like he's set on going to Inter Milan. That seems like a long shot. SC Freiburg's Nico Schlotterbeck, because he is a German international, because he's already got Bundesliga experience, because he's got the frame and the physical tools to be a prototypical center back. I think he is one that Byron's going to have to look at very closely. The problem, again, will be his price, as he will be valued somewhere around €30 million. I'm a little unsure if Byron wants to splurge right now. But we'll touch on that in a second, why they might on Schlotterbeck, but we'll get back to that. Another name we have seen is Matthias Ginter from Borussia Mönchengladbach. Ginter, of course, is rumored to not really have much support as a top-flight defender at Bayern Munich, so that's probably out the window. Interestingly, a name we just saw pop up today, after a year of not really being uh, interested or maybe following, I should say, following him from afar, uh, Bayern Munich is reportedly interested in Inter Milan's Alessandro Bastoni, who I honestly don't know much about, but from what I have read, he is a very talented player who is uh, considered a top-flight center back in Italy. He is valued by transfer mark at somewhere around €60 So that tells you exactly how their clubs view him and what transfer mark thinks that they can get, uh, that Inter Milan can get on the market for him. That is a name to check out, though it doesn't sound like Bastoni is very interested in leaving Inter at this point. Tottenham Hotspur is also interested in Bastoni, but we're not quite sure that Bastoni really is keen on leaving Inter. He could be just using the big names like Tottenham and Bayern to really up any type of new contract that he wants with Inter. So we'll follow that situation closely. But one of the reasons that I think Schlotterbeck could come into play for Bayern Munich this summer is that I'm not fully convinced Luca Hernandez is going to be around after his contract ends in 2024. Uh, recently, Luca Hernandez has, has been very non-committal in his public statements about what's going to happen at the end of his contract. And, you know, as a player, he doesn't, you know, he's under no obligation to really discuss that or really lay out his plans. I get that. Not many players do. But because he answered it so quickly and because it just didn't seem like there was much of a, an inkling for him to stay, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Luca Hernandez is going to be sold the summer of 2023, because he will tell the club that he won't be coming back. And rather than risk losing him for a free transfer like they have so many other players of late, Bayern will get proactive, get out in front of it and sell Luca Hernandez next summer. If they do, he will absolutely bring in uh, some loot. He will be a very high-value target for a lot of other clubs. The problem for him probably would be that, or probably for Bayern Munich, I should say, is they probably won't get back what they paid for him initially, which was somewhere between 80 million and 90 million euros. So that'll be disappointing uh, from that standpoint. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to predict Luca Hernandez will be sold in 2023, which makes me think that if Schlotterbeck is available this summer and he is at a price point that Bayern Munich thinks is reasonable, they will pull the trigger and bring him in 
And if they do that, they'll be set up just in case Hernandez leaves. They'll also have another good option to either play that middle or left spot in the back three. Uh, listen, Dio Upamakano was up and down all season. Benjamin Pavar is going to be moving in from being a right back for most of the last three years. Uh, of course, we have Hernandez. But other than that, Bayern really will only have uh, some very inexperienced options. Tangai Nianzu has been very mistake-prone uh, and probably needs a lot more seasoning. Chris Richards, of course, is proving himself at Hoffenheim. But it, it's a weird kind of vibe around him for as, for as well as he's done. It's very unclear if Bayern Munich wants to bring him back or if they'd be interested in selling him to Hoffenheim, who I think no doubt would take him. I think he's done a great job there. And he is really just a bright and up-and-coming player in the Bundesliga. But uh, remains to be seen what happens with that. But Schlotterbeck is definitely a player, I think, that everyone should keep an eye on if Bayern decides to splurge in the market because he is he fits the profile that you would think Bayern Munich would want. The fourth thing that we learned this week, and we touched on these guys a little bit earlier, Robert Lewandowski and Serge Gnabry, their futures are about as uncertain as they ever have been uh, during their tenures at Bayern Munich. Of course, with Lewandowski, we'll start with him. Back in 2018, he was embroiled in a massive transfer saga with Real Madrid, among other teams, and it was just grinding and draining. This time around, it appears that Lewandowski is embroiled in a transfer saga with FC, transfer, uh, saga with FC Barcelona. There's been a lot of back and forth. Xavi, the coach of... Barcelona has even commented on Lewandowski publicly. The rumors are that Lewandowski, first there were rumors that Lewandowski wanted, that he had a deal in place. Then there are rumors that the deal's not there, but he wants to move to Barcelona. There's also rumors that his agent, Pini Zahavi, is pushing him to FC Barcelona because he does not want, uh, because he does not have a good relationship with Bayern Munich. So there's all kinds of nonsense floating around with Lewandowski. But the bottom line, I think, is uh, Lewandowski reportedly wants 30 million euro per season as a gross total for a salary. Bayern is probably not comfortable going over 25 million euro. So this will be an interesting battle of the wills here as to who will cave on this push and pull over the salary with Lewandowski. Right now, I don't think Bayern Munich is in a position to let him go. I don't think that Barcelona would be able to pay a requisite sum for a transfer fee to, to Lewandowski to make it worthwhile. And Oliver Kahn has even come out and said that they will not be selling Robert Lewandowski. So all of this oh, combined together, it's just a big mess, okay? And with Lewandowski, he is just uber important to what Bayern does. I understand that he's getting up in age. I understand that he wants a three-year contract. And this is one of those times I'm glad I'm not the sporting director because part of me looks at him and I, I say he's great in great physical condition. Yes, he does pick up the occasional knock that's annoying and causes him to miss a couple of games a year, but he is durable for the most part. He keeps himself in tip-top shape. He is ultra productive. And when I look at that, I lean toward having to re-sign him but it, knowing that it's probably a move that I would regret in that third year because I do think Lewandowski has the capability to start to break down in the next probably two to three years, right? And I do think that if he's not managed properly, he will run himself into the ground chasing goals. 
And I think that's partly why he didn't look like the same player against Villarreal as he as you know, he doesn't look like the guy we saw earlier in the season. And I think he's going to have to be managed in that respect. I think Nagelsmann's going to have to really toughen up with players like Lewandowski and Kimmich. And I think that it, unless Nagelsmann can commit to doing that, unless Lewandowski can accept having to take the occasional day off, he's going to run the risk of taking some time off, some good quality time off the back end of his career because he will be worn down. So I'm inclined to make it happen. I'm inclined to get Lewandowski the money he wants. But I'm going to know in that third year I might be regretting that deal. And it, it's such a, for me, this really hits home because uh, if you've ever, if you followed the Philadelphia Phillies through their great run from 2007 to 2012, you'll know, or you'll know um, that the Phillies hung on to their veteran players just a bit too long. And by doing that, they crippled their future. And having lived through that, it makes me very hesitant to do some of the contract extensions that are on the table for Bayern Munich. But in this case, I am Charlie Brown with the football. I'm going to try and kick it, and hopefully I connect because Lewandowski, Muller, those deals do scare me a little bit. But I'm going to have faith in those players to take care of themselves. I'm going to have faith in Julian Nagelsmann to be able to, to rein them in, get them a little more rest, and make this a good relationship and make it a good way for the two veteran players to move forward. When it comes to Serge Gnabry, uh, it's so tough. So I'm going to get this out of the way. I like Serge Gnabry as a player. I think he's fantastic. I, I totally acknowledge that he's got some consistency issues, but I think Gnabry is electric when he's on. I think he's got explosive movements. I think he has a great way of working to get a shot that so many people cannot do. It's just a quick touch and a quick explosion, and he's able to make things happen. But for Gnabry, there are a couple things at play here, and I think I'm inclined to let him walk at this point, and here's why. Gnabry doesn't want to be a wingback, and rightfully so. He's a scorer, he's a forward, and I get that completely. And I support him with that. I, you know, I think he should be in an attacking role as well. The problem is, if you resign Lewandowski, if you resign Muller, when you already have Sané, when you already have Coman, when you have Paul Vader and you have Gabriel Vitovich in the wings waiting to get some playing time, when you have Jamal Musiala who's capable of playing an attacking role, when you have Julian Nagelsmann probably playing a formation that's going to have one striker and two attacking midfielders with no wings, I start to wonder where is the future for Serge Gnabry with Bayern Munich. And I'm not really seeing... A happy Serge Gnabry sitting on the bench uh, for Bayern Munich. And I think Gnabry is too good. He's too young to have a role where he is a substitute or a rotational player. And I understand that depth is key. I understand that depth is one of those things that can help carry a team through injuries. But I think if I'm Serge Gnabry and I'm not going to get the money that I want, even though I may love playing at Bayern Munich, even though I may be willing to even sacrifice a little bit in salary to stay at Bayern, I start to look at the roster and I have questions. And these are questions that Gnabry is going to have to talk to Brazo about. He's going to have to talk to Nagelsmann about because they are the only ones that can provide him those answers. He can't get his agent to do the talking here. He's going to have to look those men in the eye and have conversations. 
And if you saw Sport Build last weekend, you might think that Gnabry and Brazo already had that conversation in the weight room last weekend. Uh, there were reports and pictures even of those two having a very close conversation in the weight room. Actually, some bizarre, very silhouette pictures of the whole ordeal. But either way, with Gnabry, I think that Bayern Munich ultimately is going to have to make a tough call on him. I'm sure the club wants to keep him. I'm sure. I'm also sure they don't want to pay him 15 million euro or more. And I just think Bayern is at the. They're at a position right now where they need to incorporate some youth into their attack. Into their attack, they have Musiala who is is a natural attacker, but is being pushed deeper into the formation. I think that Bayern over the course of time is going to realize that not only is Musiala capable of, of playing a dual role and filling in in both areas, but that he's such a good attacker that it doesn't make sense to take that part away from his game just yet. Uh, so in the end, I think that if Byron, if Gnabry continues to push for that big salary, I think that Bayern Munich is going to pass on him and let him go. I think they will have to sell him this summer, and, and it'll be interesting to see if that happens, what kind of market is out there for him. You would think a player of, with Gnabry's talent at his age and with his experience and what he's already won, that it would be a no-doubt 60 million euro player out on the market. Who could pay that here? I don't know. You'd have to start looking at Real Madrid, who has been linked to him. You'd have to look at PSG. You'd have to look at some of the power clubs over in England. Uh, Liverpool was also rumored to have some interest in him. Tottenham, Manchester United, uh, those are all the kinds of clubs that would, would probably be able to make something work with Gnabry. So it'll be very interesting to see how that works out. But yeah, I think I have finally come around and made my my mind up on, on all of this. And I think that Gnabry is, uh, is about to leave the club. So We'll see what happens with that, and we'll follow that one closely. And finally, the last thing that I learned this week is that Bayern Munich, despite its its desire to retain Lewandowski, despite Oliver Kahn's uh, statement that he that there is no way that Lewandowski will leave this summer, that the that the Bavarians are already putting together contingency plans just in case that happens. So, despite all the public grandstanding about keeping him. Byron has to do what's best for the club, and they're putting together their plan. So let's just take a quick walk through the four players that we've seen mentioned so far. We're not going to include Erling Haaland at this point, although, quickly I'll tell you, with Haaland, his price is allegedly so absurd that he's got so many other clubs turned off that he might actually have to go back to Borussia Dortmund and do this whole thing over again in 2023 which maybe would put Byron in the mix for him, or maybe not. But either way, as much as I would love to see Holland in red and, and taking the pitch at the Allianz Arena, it is concerning that this whole plan that was laid out with his dad getting paid, with his agent getting paid, with a crazy salary plus the transfer fee, we're seeing just a crazy total number of like $300 million thrown out there. That is nuts, and I, I, I have trouble believing anyone other than Man City or PSG could really, pay it, could really pay that sum. So off my Holland tangent, we'll leave him off the list, but the four players are Darwin Nunez from Benfica, Benjamin Sesko from Red Bull Salzburg, Sasha Kalajic from VfB Stuttgart, and Patrick Schick from Bayer Leverkusen. 
uh, we'll work through this quickly because we've already, uh, I've already been droning on for about a half hour in your ear. So I, I do want to uh, get through this quick. Darwin Nunez from Benfica, obviously a lot of talent. He's also going to be very expensive. We've seen some rumors of anywhere from 50 million to 60 million euro. Can't see Bayern Munich paying that. Uh, even if they lose Lewandowski, uh, it just would be crazy to think that Lewandowski and Nunez could have the same value on the market. Granted, I know that there's a huge gap in age there, and that's why, but uh, Nunez obviously has the talent and skill set. Can he do it in Germany? Can he do it for Bayern? Remains to be seen. Benjamin Sesko is, an, is another player, young, 18-year-old kid. Uh, Red Bull Salzburg, obviously... A lot of people like him, has a lot of potential. There are questions how he would handle it as well. He would not be as expensive as Nunez. He might be an option because of that. And he could potentially grow with Lewandowski as a backup if Lewandowski is retained. But Sesko is an interesting name, and that's mostly because he might not cost as much as Nunez. Sasha Kalajic, of course, his stock was really high last season. He's been battling injuries this year. Uh, probably could get him, uh, I don't want to say cheap because none of these players would be cheap, but probably in the same market as Sesko. Kalajic is is a player I would probably shy away from, honestly, because it has nothing to do with his talent. Uh, I just am a little weary that he could have been one of those flash-in-the-pan type players. And again, like I think he has potential and I think he has good talent, a base of talent, but I need to see more from him where he's not quite young enough for me to, to take a chance on. He's a little older than the others. And I think that Kalajic is, is, is a player that he's one that you would go after if Lewandowski does end up leaving and you are caught and you are stuck. And here's the thing, you wouldn't sign Kalajic to a, a long deal. This would be a two or three year deal. That would be my plan anyway, because I just haven't seen enough from him to know that he's going to be the type of player that can come in and perform on the biggest stage at the highest level. Finally, the last name we talked about was Patrick Schick. Schick, uh, it, I, this is crazy, but Bayer Leverkusen would want $70 million for him, reportedly. That's crazy to me. I, I can't see how Schick, as good as he is, and for the production that he's had this season... I can't see him being worth that much. There is zero way I see Bayern Munich paying that much for Schick. Uh, I don't think Schick is the type of striker that Bayern that could come in and produce nearly at the rate that Lewandowski does. I do think he's a good player. I do think he's in a great spot with Leverkusen. I do think he could probably go to just about any other team in the Bundesliga and have great success. But I think what we learned this week about Bayern Munich is the next person they have at striker, if it's not Lewandowski, is going to have to be a problem. Uh, Lewandowski himself was not enough of a problem in those two matches against Villarreal. So the next player would have to be somebody like Holland, who physically can take over a game, who has the skill set to take over a game, and who has the speed to take over the game, the strength, everything. Uh, unfortunately, there's only one of Holland, and it does not look like uh, he is going to be making the move to Bayern Munich this summer. But one thing, and I'll close it on this, if you want to hold out hope for Holland, like I'm going to hope, I did see a report that Holland, wherever he goes next, is going to request a short contract. And I've heard two years there. So what could that mean? And I'll put my tinfoil hat on, and I will tell you this, I'm still going to stick with my prediction that Holland wants to play for Bayern Munich. 
And if he takes a two-year deal at City or at PSG or at Real Madrid or wherever he goes, that, that third year when that contract is up, he may leave on a free to go to Bayern Munich. And that would be maybe the best of all transfers. So that's all I got for you this week. Enjoy the match against Armenia Bielefeld if you can. Listen, I'm, I'm watching Bayern Munich is going to be painful on, on Sunday, I should say. It's going to be pain, painful on Sunday, all right? Because you're going to know that the Pokal is gone. You're going to know that the Champions League is gone. And you're going to have to watch this, I don't want to say mess, but you're going to have to watch this group try and pull it together and finish out the season strongly. Hopefully, because they have good veteran leaders, they can do that. Hopefully, because Nagelsmann wants to prove himself to this team, he's going to coach them even harder and get more out of them. But we will see what happens. Regardless, enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the match. Thank you for listening. You can always get me at the Barrel Blog and get our site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get Tom at TommyAdams71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get Jake at Jefferson Fenner. And you can get Samarin and Schnitzel on our site because they are not on Twitter. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next time.